Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering high-profile and under-the-radar cases from across the country every week. We are recording this on February 27th, 2020. I'm Anna Garcia, and joining me today is criminal defense attorney Allison Treasel. Hi, Allison. Hi, Anna. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Allison has been a criminal defense attorney for 23 years, owns her own practice, is the former president of the Criminal Courts Bar Association, and is the creator and the founder of Wild About Trial, and she's also a legal expert for KTLA News here in Los Angeles and Access Hollywood. Could you tell everyone a little bit about what Wild About Trial is? Right. So Wild About Trial was the first app to cover cases going on around the world. So we stream cases going on. We provide legal commentary. We have sort of updates on the hottest cases. You know, we covered Casey Anthony from gavel to gavel. We covered every kind of really interesting, amazing case because I love crime and I've always done criminal. And in my practice, I saw and I've been part of some of the most amazing cases. I miss court TV. And so I wanted to bring that type of courtroom coverage to the viewer in a unique new way. And I know that you are up on every case that's going on. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's fascinating stuff. How do you find time to be in the courtroom? Well, I'll tell you something. So I have a full practice and I do any type of case from DUIs to murder cases. And, um, you know, I live and I breathe criminal stuff. And on Fridays when I'm home with my family and I excuse myself to watch Dateline, my husband says, enough, Allison, enough. Turn it off. Turn it off. Well, then then we've got some great cases we, for you Do this we week. ever. I love what you've picked. Okay, so this week we have a Florida woman who is facing second-degree murder charges after she zipped her boyfriend into a suitcase. She filmed, videotaped him in there, yeah. and he ended up dying. It's quite serious. Mm-hmm, it looks like mm-hmm. he suffocated to death. But first, uh, we have the case of 15-month-old Evelyn Boswell from Tennessee, who's been missing since December. However, the Amber Alert was not issued until last week. So, Which for- I don't like, by the way. No, it's very weird. Yeah, it's very unsettling. Very unsettling. And now Evelyn's mother, Megan Boswell, has been arrested for filing 
false reports. And the sheriff has clearly said he's never seen a case like this in his life. Right. And he says the fact that the entire family has given him either false or misleading statements has not only really held back the investigation because they've they, hindered it. I mean, they, they really have hindered the investigation. These people are not just evasive. They've been lying along the way and really robbing the uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigations, a valuable time needed to find this girl if she's still alive. And you don't think she's alive? I don't, unfortunately. I My God, she's precious. Absolutely wonderful, adorable. Um, and I and I wish she was, but I don't like the idea of of a child missing. Someone's got to be taking care of this child, and she's not reported as missing for months. So what happened in those crucial months? And I'm worried that unfortunately it's something really bad. I'm worried too. I think everyone is. All yeah. the investigators are worried. I I guess there's a part of me that's holding out some hope. Absolutely, we. She- and and by the way. Once in a while, it happens. But unfortunately, the odds are against it. All right. Well, let's get into the details of the case here. So 15-month-old Evelyn Boswell, she's as cute as could be. If you could look at the photo that we have up now, I mean, she's got a bow on her head. She's got blue eyes, blonde hair, and is adorable. So she's a toddler. Uh, She's been missing for two and a half months. But that Amber Alert was literally just issued last week. Evelyn was last seen wearing a pink tracksuit pink shoes, and a pink bow in her hair. The sheriff of Sullivan County says that he's never seen a case like this. He says that the family has given them nothing but conflicting and inaccurate information. Now, the as you said, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation is working on this. The FBI has joined it. Initially, the bureau had said that they thought Evelyn hadn't been seen since December 26, but they're not sure because... They, they really don't know. And the person that reported it was actually the... Um, the maternal go- the maternal grandfather, mm-hmm. and he said, I haven't seen this child since this date. That doesn't mean that it wasn't before then that this child went missing. It's that he hadn't seen the child since late December. So, again, I don't like the timing here at he, all. He is the one who called— um, DCFS, yes. Right. Yes. You know, the Department of Child Family Correct. Services for, in Tennessee right. and and filed that report. Correct. What I'm trying to figure out, where is the lapse in the system that if he indeed then the police confirmed that he did make this report, then where is the lapse in the system for the Amber Alert? Why wasn't right. the- there was oh, there was way too long of a delay. But Anna, let's go back to the, the prime. When a child goes missing, the first thing that happens is the parents call immediately. The parents call the authorities immediately. Apparently, the biological father lives in Louisiana. He's active military. Mm -hmm. Pretty much he's been ruled out because he was he was active military and he does not have custody of the child. And much contact with the mother. Correct. So what the what the mother said, her initial story, and remember, she's told many stories to the authorities and then she's told stories to her friends, and then to TV cameras. And the sheriff has said very clearly, you know, you all can't believe everything that she's saying. He's actually said, don't believe anything she's saying. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the stories she said was that Evelyn was with a babysitter and that the mother knew that she was with a babysitter 
and that she knew that she was safe, but she wouldn't divulge the name of the babysitter. That By was the, the way, first this story. is sounding a la Casey Anthony a lot. If you remember in the Casey Anthony story, one of the first stories she had was that this that she had left the child with a babysitter, this Esmeralda or whoever it was. That turned out to be not true. And it was so frustrating to the police, if you remember, because they said she led us on these crazy searches looking for people when that time should have been spent looking for the child. And they have looked in the directions in which the family have pointed. Correct. So that was the first story. Then the mother, Megan, changes the story and says, actually, she was with my mother, the god, the grandmother of Evelyn. She said, but my mother, so this would be Angela, the grandmother. So the grandmother allegedly threatened the mother and she didn't go to the police and didn't tell and them. By the way, these two are not Girl Scouts. I mean, you're talking Scouts. about the grandmother, the, the grandmother and, the and the grandma's boyfriend. So right. the grandmother's 42 years old. She has a criminal history. The The boyfriend is in his 30s and he actually has a very significant history of alleged violence. And so he's being held on a really high bond and these two are suspicious characters to begin with, but they're also somehow involved in the dis- disappearance, according to the police. And we know we we're tossing a lot of names out here. So we're talking about the grandmother, Angela Boswell, who's yep. 42, then her boyfriend, William McLeod, who's 33. Correct. So we know there are a lot of names being tossed around here yeah. and people are trying to follow this. So so here's the next thing that happens. Um this is where the, the the investigation takes a crazy tangent. These two, the grandmother and her boyfriend, William McLeod, are arrested in North Carolina. And here's why. As this story is being made public, a report is made to the police that a BMW has been stolen. Basically, the story is the person who had the BMW said that she was selling it to Angela. This would be the mother of the baby. And... The monies were never paid, but somehow the car ended up in the possession of the Boswell family. Correct. So the car is reported stolen. And then in North Carolina, the cops, they've got a bulletin out. They see the car. They pull over the BMW and they find in the driver's seat, they find grandma's boyfriend, William McLeod, and they find grandma, Angela Boswell. But no baby. No baby. No baby. No baby. But they're arrested because this has been reported possession as a, of a stolen, yes, stolen, stolen car. vehicle. Now, since that has happened, those two, meaning grandma and the boyfriend, are back in Tennessee, and they are joined in that Tennessee jail with Evelyn's mother, Megan, because the police have charged her with making false statements. Correct. So now it's only a misdemeanor. But she hasn't made her bail. Right. But it's only a misdemeanor, and the maximum she can get for that charge is 30 days. So they've got to make some decisions or start doing some serious interrogations quickly to hold her on something other than the false police report. So we now have three people right. in custody. Correct. The mother, the grandmother, and grandma's boyfriend. We still don't know where Evelyn is. We have no idea where Evelyn is. But since this is all unfolded, here are some of the other stories that we have been told. So before Megan, the mother, was arrested, she tells the TV cameras that um, that the grandmother has was actually the one who had taken the baby and had taken her in a silver camper, and they went to a campsite. And she was very frustrated. She told the media that the authorities were not following up on this. That is actually not true. They searched the campsite, 
And they found nothing. And they found nothing. Right. Correct. They found nothing. Now, this week, they have been searching a pond in North Carolina. Near McLeod's family home. And what's interesting is they were arrested in North Carolina. Correct. In the stolen BMW. So that places them in North Carolina. Correct. They have been searching this pond, but as far as we know so far— Nothing conclusive. They have found nothing. Uh, Right before Megan, the mom, was taken into custody— She said, and I don't know why she said this since no one else had said this publicly, she said, I am pregnant and I cannot take a polygraph. That's suspicious to me. Right? I don't think it's an admission. I don't think it can be used as, well, maybe be able to be used as consciousness of guilt. But it's an odd statement to make, which I always, I want to focus our listener on this. Something is amiss when someone's child goes missing and they have nothing to do with it, they report it immediately. That's common sense. Well, but Allison, I'll challenge you on that. There are plenty of parents who have killed their children and still reported them missing and had a crazy cover-up story, and ultimately that child died yeah, at their we're, hands. we're actually on the same page there, because whether if, if, in fact, your child goes missing and you have nothing to do with it, you're going to report it. Mm-hmm. If you wait a long time... You are somehow knowledgeable, whether it was her mother or the boyfriend. And I don't know exactly what happened here. Something is wrong. And I think that Megan knows what happened. You think it's just Megan that knows? I think the mother may very well be involved, too. But I I don't know yet. I don't know. But I don't like the fact that she has given the police the runaround for she didn't report for a month and a half. And I don't like the fact that here's somebody who has said, multiple misleading, deceptive, untruthful stories. Well, I kind of find that the family, they seem to just be pathological liars, all of them, because each one is told one crazier story than the other. Because when McLeod, this would be the boyfriend who was driving the car, when he got pulled over by police, he said, oh, this BMW, it was a gift from my girlfriend's daughter. That would be Evelyn's mother. Correct. So... What an awfully nice gift that is, isn't it? Strange. Yes, exactly. So that's his story. It's like, oh, but this was a gift. And then remember that, you know, and they're all telling parts almost of of the same lie because Megan supposedly was the one who was trying to buy the car because that's what the woman who officially owns the car said, that that Megan was buying it for her mother. So I'm just, I'm kind of thinking that the three are connected. I, I can't say that. Do you well, know what I mean? Of course. I mean, but individually, when I when I look at McLeod and I think of the fact that he's got he has open cases for several domestic violence uh, claims against the same woman. That concerns me because that is a pattern of violence that you worry about when a child goes missing. Right. Mm-hmm. What do you make of the fact that Megan, this is Evelyn's mother, told the television cameras and anyone who would listen to her that. Their family are gypsies. And I mean, that that has no bearing on this criminal case whatsoever. But if indeed they are gypsies and they they live a life that is different and outside the laws of the United States, if they are true Roma. um, Well, I've actually represented gypsies. And mm -hmm. just so we know, from a legal standpoint, whatever their beliefs are, um, it's no legal defense to anything. Now, gypsies aren't known particularly because there is a class of people 
who are gypsies and they're really not known to be violent people. Mm-hmm. Um, they do um, they do engage in certain criminal enterprises like embezzlement and stealing, but they're not known to be violent people. But if in fact you're saying that they're gypsies, one thing would be understandable, and that is they move around a lot, that they're not rooted in any one place. It would explain why they went from from Tennessee to Carolina. That is very typical of gypsy of a gypsy lifestyle. And don't also extended family members or members of the clan help raise children. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, by the way, it would be very characteristic of them to make a deal to buy a car and then defraud the person who who they they think who who's they're supposed to be buying the car from. So I I guess maybe that's where my little bit of hope is that maybe Evelyn is with some extended member of this family, and for reasons that are not clear yet, maybe they're not presenting the child. I hope that you're right. I hope that you're right. I just, my gut that tells me otherwise. I know. It's just so sad because, you know, she's just so cute. The, innocent, the, innocent child. Yes. And living in a situation that is um, very unusual. Yeah. I, I, I don't really know what to make of this. So So what happens now? I mean... That they've searched and, oh, you know, the police have gotten more than 500 tips by the time this podcast drops. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be well over six or 700. And the police do a very good job following up in, on each and every one. So I do think that there will be some resolution. Um, unfortunately, um, I'm concerned that the, the child is not no longer alive. I really am. So this is a um, a fast developing case and things are changing hourly here Um, This is some new information that we've gotten. So, Megan, this is the mother. A friend of hers uh, says that Megan actually has admitted saying that this in a text, I'm scared. I was scared of the person who took her. Now, we don't know because Megan's a bit of a liar. Um, But what's also interesting is that this friend, Christian Arnett, told a local television station that she believes that the mother knows where Evelyn is and she also thinks she knows who has her. So they're talking in ways as if Evelyn is still alive. I realize, you know, these could all be lies, you know, one on top of the other. I, I just, you know, sometimes when you share something with a friend, I mean, how else is the case going to be cracked? It's going to be by by others around them. Right. Absolutely. And, and I'm hoping that podcasts like this bring people forward and, and that anyone that knows anything, of course, comes out and says it because— the mother and the grandmother, particularly the mother, who is really her sole job is to protect and care for this child, has done nothing but hinder this investigation. And the mother is 18 years old, which right. means she would have been about 16 when she had, when she had her. this baby. So, uh, you know, that's that's young, not impossible, but young. It is. Uh, when you don't have resources. So that is a story that is still Ongoing. We don't know what's happened to little Evelyn Boswell, but we certainly are hoping that there's a resolution. Yeah, to and this. I plan on following it closely because it really is heartbreaking. And I hope that um, this family, you know, finds some peace. It's just the saddest ever. Horrible. Well, Allison, we go from one very unusual story to a crazy. The bizarre of the bizarre. And I love this. It is so strange. I mean, I hate what happened. Right. But it's just so bizarre. It really is. Yeah. Okay, let's get to it. This boyfriend and girlfriend in Florida are allegedly having a drinking game. And it's a drinking game along with 
hide and seek. Right. I don't know many adults that play hide and seek or drunk hide and seek. Well, Allison, if you've never tried it. okay, All right. (laughs) No, Uh, I know it is unusual, but that is the story. The 42 year old Sarah Boone of Winter Park, Florida, told the cops. Right. So that's where it's all starting with a drinking game with her boyfriend, Jorge Torres Jr., also 42 years old. These two had been dating for about three years They'd had all sorts of uh, domestic violence right. issues. Right, so there's charges them. both ways. P- prior to this, there was both there was allegations, and I think some court cases mm-hmm. where they had each assaulted the other, and there were visible signs of assault on each of them each time the authorities were called. Correct, which is important to remember. Yes, so I think that sets up the kind of relationship that they had. Right. So this is the story that Sarah Boone tells. She says that they were drinking. And playing hide and seek and that she thought it would be funny. She's making it seem as if, you know, they both agreed that he should zip himself into a suitcase. So obviously there's no way that that Jorge got into a suitcase by himself and zipped it up unless he's Houdini. By the way, what size suitcase is this? It must have been massive. Massive. Right? Yeah. The kind that you check in. Really, really big. Right, right, right. So apparently he gets zipped into the suitcase. She zips him in, right? She has to. I don't think he could have... If he could have zipped himself in, then he could have zipped himself out. Houdini Torres. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So most likely she was the one to finish zipping him in. And she says that that was part of of the game. So uh, while he's in the suitcase, he gets a little sick of being in the suitcase and he wants to get out and he starts screaming for help. Now, here's how we know that he was screaming for help. Because when the police finally arrive at the apartment. Wait, can we back up a little bit? Let's back up. Let's back up. Okay. Because her initial story, okay, is that she passes out. She gets drunk. Right. She passes out, basically forgets that he's in there, wakes up in the morning, says, oh, my God. Where is he? where, Where did my boyfriend go? Oh, my God. He's still in the suitcase. Opens it up. And how horrible he's dead. She calls the police. First, she calls her ex-husband. Yeah, she calls her ex-husband first. Yes. Before she calls the police, she calls the ex-husband to say, oh, my gosh, Jorge's in the suitcase and he's not breathing. And the ex-husband convinces her to call the police. Exactly. Right. He was. He wants nothing to do with this. Right. So the police arrive and Jorge is on the ground, uh, you know, right there on the floor of the apartment. And nearby is a Navy suitcase. Correct. And so then she tells the police the story. And then according to the authorities, she gave both verbal and written permission to have the police search her phone. Bad decision. You mean you say that as a defense attorney? Um, Yes. Well, it's a bad decision to videotape incriminating statements and actions. Yes, it is. I thought you were going to say it was pretty dumb of her to tell the police to go ahead and, and look in her phone. That is also true. Now, not that I would defend the guilty, but... You know, it. I think what that shows, Allison, is that she probably didn't even remember that she videotaped. Well, by it. the way, she tells the police, and we're going to get to what was seen on this video yep. and what was said. But she tells the police, "Oh my God, I was so drunk, I didn't even know that I took the. I forgot that I took those videos." Right. And then when she sees them, she says to the police, "Oh, that's bad. That's bad. Oh, that's bad. It's bad." And Anna, it is bad. It's horrendous. Yes, because. In these videotapes, you can not only see what's going on, but you can hear poor Jorge crying for help. Right. And she keeps laughing at him 
and and you know she will not unzip him. And she says, um, "That's how it feels when you choke me." Right, because Taurus at this point is saying, "I can't breathe," and she responds, "Yeah, well, you know, that's what you do when you choke me." Um, and essentially, this is what you get for all that you have done to me. Yes. And for cheating on me. Right. She says to him, quote, oh, that's what I feel like when you cheat on me. So clearly this video is now showing you that there are issues between these two besides, you know. A- well, it also shows that he was alive when she got up in the morning. She could have saved his life and she didn't. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because he was asking for help. Um, and the more that he is calling for help, you can hear her laughing on the video and she's telling Jorge to shut up. And again, reminding him, this is for everything you've done to me. And it's incredible to me that she doesn't remember even videotaping this. So let's go to what she ultimately gets charged with second degree murder. Correct. And it's really important for our listeners to hear this because in order to prove first degree murder, there had to be. Um, intent. There had to be some type of premeditation. And I don't think they're going to be able to show it here. I think that, in fact, they he got himself in, although there's some issue. And I and I think we should wait and see what the what the autopsy reveals. But there is some bruising and scratching on his back and some lacerations and a bloody lip. And I want to know how he got those. Right. But he had to get himself into the suitcase. I, right. I do believe that. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. But for the definition in Florida, for a second degree, and I want, I want, I want you to hear this because it's so important, is when a person is killed by an act evincing a depraved mind, showing a total disregard for human life. Mm-hmm. That's second degree murder. And when she laughs at him and says, right. "This is what you get. You deserve this." That is a total disregard for human life. Real tough case to defend. So, do you think? That the videotape is the most damning part of this case? Absolutely. Does she have any defense here? Well, without the video, she could say it was an accident, right? She would mm-hmm. say it was an accident that he voluntarily got in um, and she fell asleep and she never intended, mm-hmm. right, for any of this to happen. And he, but but when when you listen to the words and the cruelty and the coldness, she's got an uphill battle. Now, we talked about this earlier, and that is some of the words seem to say that he was very abusive to her, right? He was right. very abusive to her. So could she argue and will she argue a battered women defense? She probably will, but I don't think that it will work because it's too tenuous of a connection. So if, in fact, she was fending off his assault or there was sort of something that had immediately preceded it, this isn't that. This isn't that. This is cruelty, coldness, depravity. This is not a fun drinking game. This is. N- I I started from the beginning. I've never. I haven't played adult hide and seek in a suitcase. Let's go over some of their violent history because I think that's really important sure. to to what it is that we're hearing on the tape. So the domestic violence for the two of them seems to go back to 2018. And like I said, they've been dating for about three years. There was a fight in 2018 that started uh, because she 
spoke to, to another man at a bar. She's claiming that after they return home, Torres drags her up the stairs, kicks her in the eye. And then Torres told the police a completely different story. He said he was walking up the stairs and that Boone had grabbed his throat and he was struggling to breathe. Torres said that he kicked Boone to make her leg kind of, you know, unstable so she would let go of his neck. And he's claiming that if he had not fought back, she would have choked him. Now, what's interesting in the arrest documents, they show that Torres had red abrasions on his neck consistent with strangulation and that Boone, Sarah, had a right eye that was, you know, swollen and bruised as if she had been punched in the face. They were both charged, but the case was later dropped against them. And that's not the end of it. A year later, in June of 2019, police were called to their apartment again. This time, she claims that he threatened to kill her. He was arrested and ordered to stop consuming drugs and alcohol and to stop living together. This is a very volatile relationship. This is really um, a toxic. I mean, here's the thing. Standing alone, it's a bizarre case, right? Standing alone. But when you factor in the fact that these two have been violent to each other and that he has this bruising, he has this scratching, the police are going to do a little bit deeper of a dive to see if, in fact, this was a premeditated murder. As if she set him up. Correct. And she was done Planning. with him. Yeah, correct. And and that's not the last call to the house. So that was June in 2019 when they got called to the house. And then a few months later in September, police were called again. This time, Torres was arrested for violating the terms of the bond from the previous assault. And um, the story that day, Sarah claimed that Torres punched her in the head, that they were sleeping, and that he just got up and punched her in the head. So here we have three calls where the police show up at this couple's apartment. Anna, don't be surprised if down the line her defense changes, that he wasn't, that she actually had to do something to stop his attack. Because right now she's looking at a second-degree murder charge where it is a minimum of 16 years to life. So I think that her defense attorneys may come up with some type of battered women's defense relying on the past violence. Do you think, though, the prosecutors will look at this and say, this woman has a record of being violent against this man? Oh, I do. I do. And therefore, this was the culmination of that violence. I do. I do. I, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's an interesting case because did he get himself into that suitcase? I, I'm leaning towards logically. Yes. yes. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And is he a contortionist? We don't know. this. How do you get into a suitcase? A very sad and bizarre story. It is. It is. All right, Allison, it is time for our comment section where there are more bizarre. Let's do it. More bizarre stories and crimes. Um, And this is where we always like to hear from our listeners or our viewers. This is the case of the woman who fights back and the family holds the carjacking suspect down for police. So on February 20th, a man approached a woman as she was sitting in the car And she was actually in the passenger seat. The woman said that the suspect tried to punch and yank her from the vehicle. But this woman was not about to let this happen without a fight. So she began screaming. The man let go of her wrist. And then he ran to the driver's side. He tried to get 
into the car and behind the wheel. The woman locked the doors, continued to scream, and so her father and her brother, who lived nearby, heard the commotion. They came out, and they managed to pin the guy and hold him until the police got there. So the suspect is 43 years old, and he has been charged with attempted carjacking. Well, I say bravo to her, by the right? way. Right? Absolutely. He got more than he bargained for. Oh, he picked on the wrong woman. He picked woman. on the wrong woman, and I think it's fantastic. I do, too. So Karen C. writes, the woman is a hero here. Her resisting screaming, shaking him off her and locking doors, give that lass an award. Alicia P., I don't know if I would have been brave enough to fight back. You know, that's the thing, Allison. You never know what you're going to do in the moment that's until right. it happens. That's right. Absolutely. You dream about fighting back. Well, I'm going to tell you, I, I actually was, two weeks ago, I was in a police station with a victim of domestic violence. And her husband was getting out of jail that day. And we were filing the, for a restraining order. And this detective sat down with her and he said a couple things that I that I want our listeners to hear. The first thing he said was, I want you to get the ring video. I want you to have a ring video because then you have an you have a visual on who is there mm-hmm. and it gives you time. It, right. I want you I want Anna, it's a recording. He said, Do you have a pet? She said, I have a cat. He said, They're useless. I want you to get a big dog. You need to get a big dog. They will bark and they'll give you about 30 seconds lead time to do what you need to do. What he also said was, and it's so important to this case, is he said, you need to be the predator, not the prey. Always be aware. Be prepared. If someone is going to come after you, you need to have a plan, whether that's having pepper spray. What, fight back. Fight back. And what this woman did, she probably saved her own life. Because who knows what his plan for her was. We have no idea. Absolutely. And we have one final comment. This is from John A. Vigilante justice. Gotta love it. Look, you mess with her. She's got family in town. You get what you deserve. Yeah. Now, this one I find oh so disturbing. Because I know. Like, and I do Airbnb all the time. Oh, do you see? I've I never do. done that. I'm such a I germ do. I don't rent out my stuff, but I go and I go and... and right. Love it. But this would disturb me. And not that hotels are that much cleaner. I know, but this would really disturb me. Okay, so this is a Kansas Airbnb host who finds drugs, knives, bloodstains in their home after a two-day rental. So an Airbnb host said that his home was trashed after a couple rented a room from him for two days. The property owner said that the couple left behind drugs, knives, Knives in the wall. That, I don't even know what that is. That's Knives so disturbing. in the wall, right? So, like, they're sticking. Yes. You know, I don't know. Were they playing that game where you're trying to, like, get the knife around the edges of the body? Well, I don't like that there's blood stains. Oh, yeah. Blood stains all over the room and trash. And he estimated that the damage was about $4,000. So, ultimately, the two get arrested. Arrested are 29-year-old Rebecca Singh and 23-year-old Joseph Crane. The pair both face drug possession charges uh, and have individual bonds set at $10,000. Now, I'm completely revolted by this, but my concern is blood. Like, did someone, did they cut someone in that? I don't know. I don't know. And I'm hoping that there is a serious police investigation. Unless the blood came from them? Did they assault each other? Well, I mean, looking at them, it's possible. Well, I'm looking at his neck and there's like this red thing. I can't tell if that's a hickey or, or if that's from an assault. I mean, and I don't know if there were syringes, perhaps, if they found drugs. Yeah. So it could have been their own blood. 
Um, but I certainly am hoping that the police follow up on this. Now, I know that this is a really catty comment, but would you look at her lip liner, how far off it is from her lips? Um, I mean, this girl is not having a good day. No, she's not. No. I am assuming that it was been longer than one day that she's had her makeup on. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to the comments. So Vicky S. writes, whose blood was it? I hope that the cops... Oh. I, I hope the cops tested. Look at those eyes. Uh, Vicky. I couldn't. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They have scary eyes. Both of them do. If you can't see it, trust us on this one. Yes. Donna H. writes, there are not enough cleaning supplies to ever make me comfortable in that house again. I would burn the mattress. I think that is actually very good advice. Get rid of that mattress. Um, yeah. I, and again, as someone who loves Airbnb, this stuff scares me. Oh, yeah. And then Jill D., I'd never rent anything I own to strangers. I kind of feel that way. I really do. I don't want people in my house being dirty. Going through your stuff and throwing knives into your walls. Leaving blood behind. Yeah, that's upsetting. Really upsetting. Yuck. So, look, these two are, yeah, this is a bad story. Well, Allison, thank you so much for coming in this week. My pleasure. So fun. Do you have any big cases coming up? I have a few interesting cases going on right now, a couple murder cases that are certainly uh, tricky and challenging. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. But it's, look, it's what you do. And I, I believe that everyone deserves a defense. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you? So my law office is law offices of Allison Treasel, located in Sherman Oaks. And then I run Wild About Trial. So that is www.wildabouttrial.com. And you're on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter and I am, um, I ha- I do true crime for Access Hollywood and also I have, a, I have a series for KTLA called Legal Smart. I love it. Yeah. Thanks, Allison, for coming in. Thanks for having me. And as always, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, plus YouTube. And you can get updates and subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, this is True Crime Daily, the podcast reminding you, don't do crime. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. Join one of Loyola University, Maryland's forensic science programs today.